Well, welcome to yet another snowy Sunday, three out of four weeks so far this year. Glad you made it out. If you're watching online, welcome to you. Hope you can show up in person very soon. We're going to be treading today where a few people really want to go, but we're going to go there and ask, did humans evolve from lower forms of life, or have humans always been pretty much the same form that they are now? And I'm just going to admit right up front that uh, I'm wading in over my head because I'm neither a scientist nor a biblical specialist in these kinds of arguments. And there are others out there, great resources that do a far better job with way more detail about the complexity of these arguments. And I, I would encourage you to get those because we can only do so much in one brief overview right now. But here we go. And I don't know where you come from, what your beliefs are, your background is. But I'm just glad you're here, that whether you're new or you're exploring, you're seeking, you're asking questions, we want this to be a place where you feel comfortable to do that because we're all searching for truth, we're all in the same boat, um, but sometimes truth is not necessarily going to be physically verifiable. There are greater truths than those. So let's establish up front that there is any conflict between science and Scripture. That's our fault. It's because we have limited understanding and limited uh, availability of, of facts, and so we're just dealing with our current interpretation of those facts. Because, look, the Bible is not anti-science. It never has been. The Bible tells us why science works. It points us to the Creator and to the Designer. God is the source of all truth, no matter where it comes from, from natural revelation, that is nature, or from supernatural revelation or Scripture. So we can be confused, given our limited understanding and perspective, but God's Word is never going to contradict God's creation. Right? So let's also be honest enough to admit that no matter what our beliefs are, they are faith-based. They come from faith. Because nobody was there to see what happened at the beginning. Only God was. We just have a lot of good guesses, hopefully. Good speculation. Or we're, we're dealing with the evidence that we have in front of us. So it, a lot of it will be de depending upon what you have been taught, what you have been exposed to, to develop the kinds of opinions you have right now. But it's going to be based on faith. Because you can't prove it. And faith isn't a bad thing. It doesn't mean believing in irrational myths. It's saying that it, it, this is a conclusion I have based on what I know. This makes the most sense. And the big deal is that your worldview determines how you interpret information. All right? So scientists will go in with a lot of uh, actual speculation and conjecture and theory and claim it to be settled fact you know we, we get scolded in this day of covid like don't question the science when that's exactly what you should do because science is not settled by definition science is based upon whatever new information new discoveries that gives you a new perspective so we need to be open to those kinds of things back in 2019 gallup survey poll showed that 40 percent of americans believe in creation that god created the world and people as it as they pretty much are right now, 10,000 years ago or less. But actually, belief in evolution has been growing. It used to be pretty even in this country, but now we're seeing a small majority, about 54%, accepting evolution, that God has um, either been involved or, or it's just happened on its own over millions of years. I think about 33% of those who believe in evolution still say God was involved somehow. 22% say God was not involved. 
But no doubt evolution has been on the rise. Why? number of reasons. One is because of a decline in church involvement, right? Um, that we're seeing the biblical worldview falling more and more out of favor in society. Preachers won't even teach on it anymore. A lot of them just avoid the subject altogether for whatever reason. But I think for another big reason, and that's because the entire educational establishment teaches only one viewpoint. Students are never exposed to the other side. They used to be, but they're not any longer. Nearly all scientists uh, hold to the view of evolution. And those, who, those scientists who do not are either ignored or outcast or silenced or suppressed in some ways. They don't get to teach. So science has become this sacred cow that is not to be questioned. And so these students go off to school, they go off to college, and they get their faith blown up because they've never been exposed to the evidence against evolution. I think you can trace the, uh, the rejection of faith in God and in the Bible back to the teaching of evolution more than any other thing. And look, we'll say, we're, we're not the intellectual elite. I think we're just a bunch of common people with common sense and probably average intelligence. And, and so we feel unprepared to get into those kinds of debates. And we tend to clam up because we, we don't have all the facts in front of us. But I, here's what I want you to understand. You don't have to feel ignorant or superstitious because you still believe in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, because there are still many brilliant scientists who believe it. It's just that you don't get to hear from them, that's all. Uh, they say, well, you Christians, what you believe in is ridiculous. What you believe in is so weird. Yeah, I guess it is. But you know what? What you believe in is pretty weird too. That all this beauty and order arose out of nothing, that nothing produced something, that non-life produced life, and it all arose from a single organism. That's, that's pretty weird. I mean, who's got more faith? That's a faith-based system. And so, look, um, to believe in Genesis and the Bible, you do not have to commit intellectual suicide. It's reasonable, it's rational, but what you have to do is crucify your intellectual pride and fear of being ridiculed by the world's so-called wisdom. Another reason I think is the confusion due to the word evolution because it's a loaded term, right? It, it can, people kind of think it's all or nothing. Either you completely believe in evolution or you reject all evolution. And is, is that really the case? Does it have to be? Well, let's ask some questions. First, what's the difference between micro versus macro evolution? I think we would all agree that there is such a thing as micro evolution, that there are these small changes within species, that there are variations and adaptations within a species. For example, you've seen probably those illustrations of primitive horses. They're smaller. They look different than today's horses, but guess what? They're still horses, still the same species. People will even purposely, intentionally intervene and breed different kinds of dogs. Right? A poodle looks very different from a bulldog, but they're still dogs, still the same species. So that really does square with Genesis 1, which says God created animals after their own kinds, within these boundaries. Now, what we would take issue with is macroevolution. That is, that one species 
over time transitions into another species, that fish grew legs or reptiles grew wings and became birds. I mean, the Bible's account of creation certainly doesn't give a picture of things starting off simple and then becoming more complex. Or that God just kind of, boom, put it all there and then just let it unfold. I mean, okay, here's where I could seed all that ground about animal evolution, if I had to. I don't, but I, I could seed all that. Here's where I think it's super important, where it gets very serious, is the issue of humans. I mean, how did humans get here? And did, they, did we start off as lifeless matter that became molecules that turned into monkeys and then into a man? Or as somebody said, from goo to you through the zoo, right? Is that how we got here? Was there some ancient ape ancestor, hominid, that eventually became human? So what I'm saying is not a real choice when somebody asks, do you believe in evolution? Because it depends on what kind. Micro? Sure. Macro? No. Because we don't see true evidence of that happening either through observation or through the fossil record. I mean, if evolution had taken place over millions of years, then theoretically there should be lots and lots of transitionary fossils, and they're not there. The proof is not there. I mean, we've all seen that ascent of man chart, right? Turning from a, an animal into a man. But what a lot of people don't realize is that chart is full of misunderstandings, mischaracterizations, mischaracterizations and uh, blunders and deceptions and uh, extrapolations. You know, like they'll take one bone or one fragment of a bone and they'll build a whole creature out of it. A lot of guesswork and speculation goes into that chart. So here's what we read in Scripture in Genesis 1.21. After creating various animals after their own kinds. Everybody say with me together. Here we go. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created humans. Separate, distinct, special we are the only creatures that bear the image of God. Everybody knows instinctively that humans are different than animals. We are not animals. We are persons with rationality, morality, with fellowship with God. We have this image, this spirit that the animals don't have, which is why God permits us to kill animals for needful purposes, but not to murder people or to commit suicide because now you're dealing with the image of God and that's different then in chapter 2 of Genesis it, it adds to the story in chapter 1 some people say well that's a whole different story and it disproves it no it's just expanding on the brief overview chapter 2 says the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And that is our big idea. Because God created humans in his image, value each person as he does. That's where our value and worth comes from. 
You know, these complex bodies and minds and spirits we have show evidence of a creator and a designer. I want you to look at this photo. Put this photo up and decide, is that the result of random blind chance or the result of a divine intelligence? What do you think? Be careful, because that's my grandson. <laughs> that's old Wesley James. <laughs> Come on. That just happened? No. Not just Adam and Eve, but every human is a person who carries God's image, which makes us of infinite value to Him. That's what makes human life sacred. It has inherent value. And we referenced that earlier, talking about the sanctity of human life Sunday. What King David said in Psalm 139, For you, God, form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why we treat every person with dignity because they are fellow creatures equally made in the image of God. And we are all equally related as descendants of Adam and Eve. And it doesn't matter at what age or stage you are, unborn, elderly, physically disabled, diseased, mentally challenged, whatever color or race or ethnicity, we are all connected, related through Adam and Eve. If we were just evolved animals, then you could justify racism. That's where so much racism comes from. It's from this worldview that comes out of evolution. Now, some will say, no, it came from the Bible. People use the Bible to justify racism. Well, a few people did because they didn't read the Bible. It's not in there. It doesn't say that. But Darwinism does give you that justification because the idea is we are advancing. We're, we're growing, becoming better, and therefore some are better than others. That, that's what random selection is about. If there's no God, then it's just about who's superior. Those are the ones that should go forward. The, the ones that are inferior should not. That's law of the jungle. That's survival of the fittest. That's what Hitler and communist atheist dictators like Mao and Stalin used to justify killing people because they didn't have the same value. They denied rights because they, they weren't as advanced they weren't at the top of the ladder the top of the chain and why not why not do whatever you want to do if there is no god who gives us an objective source of what's true and right and just survival of the fittest man it leads to this question do i have to believe adam and eve were actual historical people which wasn't even a question among Bible believers until Darwin came along. But now you have even Christians questioning, well, maybe Adam and Eve were just uh, poetical representations or archetypes of humanity. They weren't real. But the Bible treats them as real. And nobody can certainly say Adam and Eve have been disproven. But I'm still asking, must they be real historical people for me to be a believer? Well, I would suggest that you can still follow Jesus. You can still go to heaven if you don't believe Adam and Eve were real. Because what you absolutely have to believe is Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel truth. But if you believe that, then you're going to have some real challenges when it comes to Adam and Eve because Jesus 
talked about Adam and Eve and treated them like they were real people. He says in Mark 10, but from the beginning of creation, now he quotes the Genesis story, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And if you read in Luke 3, the genealogy of Jesus is traced all the way back to Adam, who is just as real an ancestor as Abraham or David. So I would also point out, if you're a Christian and you doubt Adam and Eve, you're going to have some trouble with other New Testament doctrines where the gospel is built on the foundation of the fall, that Adam and Eve sinned against God, and that's why God sent His Son into the world as the second Adam to undo what the first Adam did to deliver us from the penalties of sin, namely death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam is treated as just as real as Christ. So I think to dismiss Adam as fiction is to plant the seeds, to undercut the foundation of the gospel. In fact, a news article just came out a couple weeks ago that is based on a new book that's come out pointing out how there are some scientists now who are beginning to admit the possibility that maybe we all did descend from one original couple. Now, it's not presenting the biblical worldview, but it's making progress and saying maybe it's not impossible that there was an Adam and Eve. I mean, that's a big deal. And I wish I could go into more about that. Don't have the time, but I'll get into it this week on Facebook as you're texting in your questions. And I'll give you some bonus questions too, like where did all the races come from? And what about Bigfoot? You know, important stuff. So um, here's what I want to get to on this is they keep presenting us this evidence and I just don't see the genetic evidence being compelling enough to make me jettison faith in a real Adam and Eve. I mean, I don't, who knows what's going to happen over time? To, to me, it makes more sense to hold on to the reality of Adam and Eve than to keep revising my beliefs, especially when it's based on the discovery of some professor or paleontologist who themselves keep changing the theories. Just this past week, another article came out, again, changing the timeline for, for when man first appeared. It keeps changing all the time. So who knows what exploration and evidence will come to us in the next 10 or 20 or even 50 years. I mean, will it cause more scientists to admit maybe we did all come from one couple? Or will it cause more Christians to doubt Adam and Eve and have to reconfigure their beliefs? I don't know, but I'm confident that science is misinterpreting origins because it's already a theory full of holes. It's a theory in crisis in many ways. But no matter what, Christianity is still going to survive whatever new discovery comes about. Our faith is not teetering on the brink of extinction based on whatever comes down the road because ultimately God's truth will always win out. God's Word has stood the test of time and it always will. And it could be maybe we've misunderstood Genesis and we might have to adjust our methods of interpretation. But that leads to this question. Could God have used evolution to create humans? Because many of those who believe in macroevolution still would say that God 
guided the process, that he directed evolution. We call that theistic evolution because the word theos in Greek means God. So God was using evolution to create men. Now, those who believe in God uh, and still believe in that kind of evolution need to understand it really isn't consistent with Genesis 1 and 2, which says God made Adam and Eve instantaneously as fully formed adults. I mean, we can debate a lot of things, but here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Acts 17. And he, God, made from what? Many hominids. No, one man. Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, keep in mind that if God wanted to use evolution, he could. I mean, that's his prerogative. He, but if he did, why then tell us that he made man from dust and he made a woman from a rib? Why go through the charade of, of giving us this story when he could have simply told us otherwise? And especially as he talks about woman being made for man. That carries tremendous spiritual significance throughout the Bible in regard to the bond of marriage. You know, when Eve was brought to Adam, he said in Genesis 2, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, here Jesus quotes this, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. At the beginning, Adam and Eve had a perfect marriage. She never had to hear him talk about his mother's cooking. He never had to hear her talk about all the men she could have married. It was paradise, right? But they fell, and marriage got messed up. But that principle is still there. And yet, you hear people today trying to justify, well, it's okay for men to bet a lot of women because we're just animals trying to propagate the species, and we shouldn't try to suppress that. Works out well for the men. Is that the way it is, really? Or is it that God has designed us to be with one woman for life? That that kind of marriage is the foundation for family and society? Or is marriage just a social construct that each culture can redefine to be whatever they want? Or throw it out altogether? Scripture, look, is not intended to be read like a science textbook. It doesn't use modern terminology that we're familiar with. Why? So that it could communicate these transcendent, transcultural truths to every generation and every culture, and they could understand it and appreciate it. But again, if God created us through evolution, He could have told that to Moses in very simple, non-scientific terms and say, hey, I used an already existing creature and transitioned it into a man. But He didn't do that. And could God have created other humans besides Adam and Eve? Yes, he could have. But if he did, he didn't tell us. In fact, he told us just the opposite. From one man, he created all nations. But then a question is thrown out that tries, they, they think it disproves the Genesis story. It's that, where did Cain get his wife? Ha <laughs> ha, got you now. Because they point out Adam and Eve had two sons. Adam and, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And Cain killed his brother Abel. So where did Cain get his wife if they're the only ones on earth? Well, let me say, you know, Cain had a mark put on him by God 
because he was afraid somebody was going to kill him for revenge. Why would he be afraid if they're the only ones on earth? Because there were other people. Who? Other brothers. Scripture never says Cain and Abel were their only two sons, including their third son, Seth. Here's what it actually says in Genesis 5-4. A lot of people don't know this. Say it with me. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years. And he had what? Other sons and daughters. How many? Well, with hundreds of years, probably a lot. Maybe dozens. Poor Eve. But there you go. So, what, what? You're saying that Cain's wife was his sister? Yup. Yup. Or his niece or his cousin, some relative. Because it was still allowed back then. It was pretty normal to marry somebody in your family. Abraham even married his own sister. It wasn't forbidden until later at the time of Moses. And because you think about back then, the genetic pool was a lot purer. You didn't have all the genetic defects back then, so it was, it was safer to marry within your family. But were Adam and Eve cavemen? Well, I don't usually use the term cavemen because it implies evolution. We're using it in this series because we're talking about all creatures, real or imagined. That's why last week we talked about aliens. Next week we're talking about transhumans. But did Adam and Eve live in caves? Probably after they got kicked out of Eden because they had nowhere else to go. Uh, but were they, were they these like primitive ape-like brutes? Were they like, you know, Wookiees walking around, you know, Chewbacca, you know, grunting to each other? No, Scripture presents them as having normal conversations with each other and with God. In fact, think about it, they were created in perfection. I mean, humanity was at its peak back then. So actually, if anything, we've been devolving. Don't believe me? Look at Hollywood, right? Is that, is that mean? Sorry, okay. You, you get, look around the world. I mean, are we really getting better? I mean, yeah, we're more educated and sophisticated, and we got more stuff and more tools and technology, but are we really better? You know, after Noah's flood, too, uh, men probably lived in caves because they didn't have any homes yet, but that doesn't mean that they were primitive. They were just destitute. But do I have to believe in creationism to be a Christian? No, I don't think so. That's not the key matter. The absolutely critical belief is that you believe Jesus is God's Son, the perfect sinless substitute who died on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and rose from the dead so that you could have life forever with God. That's the gospel, and that is of first importance. But I'm a creationist, not only because I believe the Bible, but because I look at nature. And nature tells me there is a creator and a designer. I'm not going to suppress that truth. As Romans 1 says, people know there's a God just looking at nature, but they don't want to be accountable to that God, so they suppress it. And that's really what Darwin was about. He wanted to get rid of the creator. And that's why that whole worldview is really an atheistic one. It's what it's built on and what it leads to but that doesn't necessarily mean that's where you are. I'm not even saying you have to be a creationist that believes in a young earth. You know, there are young earth and old earth creationists. Young earth creationists would take Genesis 1 in very literal terms 
based on the six days of creation, that they were literally six 24-hour days, and combine that with the genealogies in Genesis, and that takes us back about 6,000 years. Okay, so that's one view. But then the Old Earth view says, wait a minute, the Hebrew word for day is yom, and that can sometimes be used figuratively, and so maybe it was longer periods of time. You know, I respect the views of both young Earth and old Earth, creationists because I've studied this for years and I've read both sides and every time I come away going yeah yeah that's a good point yeah, that's a good point too <laughs> they both have great points and evidence but they both have problems and I'm just not sure on it but here's what I am sure on we've got to hold firm to the authority of scripture while we hold some of our views a little bit more loosely because there is some some difficulties in discerning things and it's controversial so we're probably not going to come to perfect agreement we have to be careful about judging one another's opinions but the age of the earth is a very separate question from the age of humankind i really don't care how old the earth is humanity though is a recent creation because even if the genealogies aren't complete, because sometimes back then they didn't put every name in a genealogy, right? Sometimes it was just the highlight reel. But if you put more names and generations in that genealogy list in Genesis, it's still not going to take you much back further than, than a few thousand years. Not hundreds of thousands. And certainly not millions. And yes, it's true that modern science has done an amazing job in showing some biological continuity between animals and humans. For example, maybe you've heard that thrown out, that we share 98.5% of our DNA with chimpanzees. Well, that proves evolution, right? Proves that we had an ancient common ancestor. No. Just means we're similar in a lot of ways. And I would also point out not everybody accepts that 98.5%, that there are other studies that show it's much less than that. It kind of gets passed around as one of those urban myths to get repeated but even if it is even if it is 98.5 percent that doesn't mean we're animals because that one and a half percent makes all the difference in the world between an animal and a person it's far more than biological it's the image of god within us so because god created humans in his image we value each person as he does endowed with sacred dignity and you see when you come to believe in jesus and in the new testament you don't have as much trouble believing all those old testament stories because look if god can create the universe he can raise jesus from the dead and that's what our faith is built on the gospel of jesus death burial and resurrection and if god can raise the dead he can certainly create the universe i mean it's it's all the same thing it's supernatural. And it's because we believe God made us in His image that we have meaning and purpose and hope for the afterlife. His, Jesus died for each person. That's how much He values you. Don't look at yourself through the world's eyes. What does God say about you? You are not a cosmic accident. You are a creation of the living, loving God. You're not just an animal wearing Nikes and carrying a credit card with a diploma. 
You are so much more than that. So maybe it's time for you to, to settle some fundamental issues about who you are. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Where am I going? What gives my life value and worth? Am I here just as the result of blind chance? Or did God put me here for a reason? Does He have a plan for my life? It's up to you to decide. You get the choice. God gave Adam and Eve free will and He gives it to you too. What are you going to do with it? Will you choose to trust Him and to follow Jesus? We invite you to do that today if you've never made that decision. To, to put your trust in Jesus, repent of your sins, to be baptized into Him today, to experience that new life. If you've never been baptized, maybe you're already a believer, but you've never been immersed, we've got everything you need, towels, robes, clothes, warm water, we're good to go. If you need somebody to pray with you, if you just have more questions, we're not afraid of that. We're here to help. We don't know everything, but we'll hopefully help you get a little bit further down the road, closer to God. So if you're watching or if you're here and you want to text or email us, we'll get back to you right away. If you're here on site, in the next few minutes, the music's going to play. Just walk up here while it's playing. People are going to be taking communion. You just come up and meet with some of my friends up here who are ready to help you take your next step, be baptized, whatever it is. If you're already a believer, though, and a couple other ways that you can respond is through communion or through giving, or both. I mean, if, if you want to give today, we never ask our guests to give anything. But if you want to worship through your offering, through the app or through uh, the website or the boxes or email, go ahead and do that because your generosity enabled one more person to cross the line of faith and get baptized last week. So we celebrate that every time. <clears throat> and look, when you're giving, it's a big deal because it's not just a financial decision, it's a spiritual decision that I'm trusting God with my money. Um, that I trust that he's going to provide for me. Do you believe that he's going to honor that decision today? And as we share in communion, if you're not a believer, just use this time to, to sit and think and reflect, pray, whatever you want to do. Uh, but we're going to take this bread and this cup that you get every week when you come in that remind us of the body and blood of Jesus, his sacrifice for us, because it centers us once again on what our lives are all about, that it doesn't all revolve around me. Everything revolves around Him. And I owe Him everything. So use this communion time to draw close to Him in prayer. Let's pray together right now. God, thank You for making us. Thank You for loving us, for God, God um, doing so much for us. And we, that makes us want to become what You created us to be. So give us faith. Help us to trust that, that you put us here for a reason. You got a plan for my life. Thank you for sending Jesus. And as I eat the bread and drink the cup, I'm going to remember yet again uh, what's most important. This gospel is of first importance in my life. But God, we're praying also for those who are struggling with their faith. We pray for those who are struggling with their value and their worth as a person. They feel like giving up. Um, they're, they're weighed down with worry, with fear, with loneliness, with sickness. God, I pray for healing and help. 
for marriages, God, that are not following your plan, that are having struggles. I pray that they will experience a closer one flesh bond today, that there will be reconciliation. Pray for those who don't know Christ. God, each one of us right now, uh, put somebody's name in our mind that uh, they need to know Jesus. They need this good news, this hope that only you offer. And use us to bring it to them, we pray in Jesus' name.